Hey, my name is Andrew. It's a pleasure to connect with you. I'm the lead pastor at Mountain Park Church in Niagara Falls, Canada. And this is the Mountain Park Church podcast. We have been on a journey talking about God's vision for the life of our church in the next seven years. And as I've been saying, this is not intended to be marketing hype and hyperbolic language. We genuinely, with the fear of the Lord, believe that we're on the threshold of a new season in the life of the church, a once in a generation shift in the life of our church. And we've been talking about that in this last number of weeks, and we're gonna shift now to talk about another facet of this season that is coming. Over the last number of months, as the leader here and as a part of our leadership circle here, God has been drawing us to Joshua 1 to 5 and Israel's, the story of them leaving slavery in Egypt, leaving the wilderness, crossing the Jordan and entering into the place of promise walking out the vision and calling that he had for them. And one of the things that has just sort of, we feel the Spirit has been keying us in on, honing in on for us, highlighting for us, is that in this threshold season, on the banks of the Jordan as Israel sat there, God's call to them was prepare your provisions and consecrate yourselves. The beginning the, the seedbed, the beginning place of every great move of God, every great move of God, the beginning place has been men and women who have been willing to enter into a season of consecration. That is the launching off point for every great move of God we've seen on the earth and we believe that this next season is not one to be depressed about. It's not one to be anxious or fearful about. We believe that in greater ways than he ever has, God wants to invade the earth with his kingdom. God wants heaven to invade the Niagara region or wherever you are, your neighborhood, your home, your business place. He wants you to be the tangible place where heaven meets earth. And we are moving now, we're shifting gears to begin talking about what it means to consecrate ourselves. It's actually the prophetic word that God has given us for the life of our church in 2024 is the word consecrated. So today we are beginning to set the stage for what it means to be consecrated, what that word means. I'm so excited for you to hear from Janet Dirksen. She's one of our leadership circle team members. She is going to join me to teach on what it means to be consecrated. Um, this morning, I'm just gonna dive right in. We have, uh, We've been uh, in this series this fall, the first one that we've done in a number of years where we're talking about God's vision for us in the life of our church. If you've been tracking with us, I've been saying things like we are on the threshold of a once in a generation shift in the life of our church. And that's not hyperbole. That's not meant to just kind of hype you up. Our 2030 vision is not just sort of a slick kind of marketing thing. We legitimately believe that God, we are on the threshold of a once in a generation shift in the life of our church. I want you to know as well that um, this is so deep in us and in me. Um, on our podcast, we've been recording totally separate um, content. Most Sundays that I've, I've been speaking, um, Brenda and Alex and Pam have done great. Most Sundays that I've been speaking, I've left feeling like, okay, God, that wasn't everything that's in my heart. I said things that uh, I didn't mean to say. I didn't see it, say things that I meant to say. And so if you go on to our podcast, you'll hear me break down this vision in much more detail. We're separating parts out to be uh, more clear. 
So what is on there is content you haven't heard on a Sunday morning. And I'm not going to repeat all of that now, but that, that's like the depth of importance that um, I believe we're in right now is a once in a generation shift. And that shift is not uh, to diminish what God has done in the past in the life of this church. This church in one form or another has been around since 1975. And this church, like every other church, has experienced seasons of great growth and blessing and goodness and really hard stuff too. It's been led by great pastors and, and men and women who have served faithfully over decades. And so anything that we talk about as it relates to vision does not diminish that in any way. In fact, we're just standing on the shoulders of those people who have just been faithful before us. And like there was in the past, there is now a, a turning point, a new season for us to step into. And so we've been talking about that over the next or over the last few weeks and been adding special content into our podcast. And we're, we're going to continue this, but shift into actually the next phase of this conversation, which relates to the word prophetically we believe God has given us for our lives and the life of our church for 2024. This is something we've been praying into for months something we've been laboring over and asking Jesus, what is it that you see for the life of our church in 2024? And the word that we believe he's calling you to and me to and us to together is consecrated. And you're going to see why as we step into this. But I just want to give you a quick recap. The vision that we've been giving you is not a vision to build programs or primarily to build things, although those, those things may be outflowing sort of realities of that. The vision that we want to give you is back to the prayer of Jesus, that we become the kind of people that live the prayer of Jesus, which is, Father, would your kingdom come, would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The vision that we have is this invasion of the kingdom of God in you and through you on earth as it is in heaven. That's the vision we have. We explained it with this metaphor that we are these living cathedrals of God's presence and power, that what we see on the horizon is a whole region that is cloaked in brokenness and in darkness under the stronghold of the enemy. And we see dotted all throughout this region, your lives and my life, we see all of these cathedrals of God's presence and power. We see the reality coming to life that you are the light of the world, that you are to be a city on a hill, that God wants to bring the invasion of his kingdom from heaven on earth through you in your neighborhood and in your place of work and in the place Places where you find yourself gathering in the community spaces you do in your schools and in every sphere of life that that heaven is meant to touch the earth through you and we see this potent presence of God bringing light into the dark places and not primarily through a one hour or we never do one hour through a one and a half hour service once a week but through your life that your physical life, your real life is meant to be the container for the divine and the supernatural. That what is common and ordinary is not your calling. We're called to become this living cathedral of God's presence and power to bring the beauty and the goodness of God and his kingdom to the earth again. And we're going to do that by living the way of Jesus for the renewal of of Niagara. We have defined, and again, you can go and listen to a more in-depth kind of analysis of this on our podcast, but living the way of Jesus means becoming people of presence, tangible presence, counterformation, and responsive mission. Those are the things that, that characterized and defined Jesus's own life. If we were to kind of put Jesus into a few major containers. His life was characterized by the Father's presence. His life was characterized by a counter-formative kingdom reality that, that 
touched his personality and his character. Jesus operated fundamentally in a counterformative way on the world, in the world. And we see Jesus responding to the Holy Spirit's uh, direction in his life. The mission of Jesus was simply a response to the initiative of the heart of God. Jesus wasn't called into busybody Christian missionary stuff. Although those may be things you do, he wasn't uh, called into just doing quote-unquote missional things. His life was a responsive walking out of the Holy Spirit's calling with the Holy Spirit's gifts in him and the Holy Spirit's power. So we are going to see the invasion of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven through us by becoming people of presence, counterformation, and responsive mission. And today we are going to build on what we've been talking about. We're going to build on that. As we begin to talk about what it means to be consecrated. In the last few months, I've been arrested by this picture that we see in the book of Joshua 3, 5. And there's just one line in there that I feel like God has just um, really highlighted for us as a call in this season. And it's this, Joshua 3, 5, purify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. In some translations, that word is consecrate yourselves. So we're on the threshold of this once in a generation move into a new epoch, a new era and in a sense, we're on the banks of the Jordan like the Israelites were. And the thing that you need in order to move more fully into the purposes and plans of God in your life and the thing that I need and the thing that our church needs is first, before we cross the river and try and take on Jericho, set our feet on the Holy Land, the first thing we need to do is enter into a season of consecration. And we're going to talk about that today. Consecration is not uh, a word that you use usually around the water cooler at work. I'm not sure when the last time that word even left your lips. Maybe you don't even quite know what that is. But it is a word that is uh, dear to the heart of God. When you begin to unpack this, this is, this is found from Genesis to Revelation, the concept of consecration. And actually, in our secular world around us, our world enters into consecration all the time, whether they know it or not. So consecration may not be a word that is in your regular lexicon or vocabulary, but it's something that our world is even doing because this is actually, this word is pointing to an innate part of our fundamental makeup that God has made us for and with. So even though we don't hear the word, Often we live in an environment and culture where people are consecrating themselves to many things. And maybe you've done that too. This little framework I want to give you here to start is a framework of consecration that is three parts, cleansing, sacrifice, and dedication. And this happens in our culture all the time. I've done this, maybe you have. We cleanse ourselves from toxins. We enter into disgusting fasts for multiple days where we're drinking things like olive oil and really weird things in order to detox our liver. Whether that actually works in three days, I'm very skeptical of whether my liver gets cleansed in three days by drinking a gallon of olive oil a day. That's so gross. That's like an early, that's a mid 2000s thing. I think we've moved beyond that. But, but our culture is filled with this uh, modality of consecration. We cleanse ourselves from toxic food. You cleanse yourself from, un, uh, from unhealthy relationships. You separate yourselves from the people that, that you believe are toxic in your life. And this is all around us. 
This is why on TikTok and on um, you know, Instagram, we have all of these um, doctors and scientists and pseudoscientists coming up with all of these life hacks to cleanse you from all kinds of stuff. Our culture cleanses itself from anything that would be a barrier to you living your best life. The whole self-help betterment movement is rooted in a cleansing from what you believe is toxic and harmful. Our culture enters into consecration every day. Our culture enters into sacrifice. It is incredible the things you will do to sacrifice to meet your vision for what success looks like. It's incredible what you are, what our culture is willing to give up to pursue the American dream. It is astonishing to see what people will sacrifice in their lives to, to get a bit of the good life. They'll sacrifice family, they'll sacrifice children, they will sacrifice anything for money, for sex, and for power. Our culture is consecrating itself all the time. And our culture is a culture of dedication. <laughs> Just think of Burning Man. Just thought of that. That is a festival, a pagan festival of dedication. Our culture is giving itself in dedication to all kinds of things. And the call of Jesus on our life as a church for 2024 is to be counterformed into the image of Jesus and to consecrate ourselves to the person of Jesus himself again. When I first floated this idea past our leadership circle, there was mixed response to this word, but one person lit up like a Christmas tree uh, with intrigue and uh, like literally just came alive at the idea of processing this word consecration. And uh, her name is Janet Dirksen. She's on our leadership circle. And Janet is a, a huge blessing to our church. She, uh, for a few years, was part of the team that helped us um, recraft and rewrite our whole constitution and bylaws. And Janet has a many degrees and is um, not only super intelligent, uh, but she's kind and she's gentle and uh, she's very wise. And so Janet is going to come up because she was so excited about this and she's going to teach on uh, this word and give us a bit of a biblical background for this word. So let's welcome Janet this morning. And uh, can I pray for you, Janet? I'll give you that, Mike. Father, again, we just bring ourselves under the leadership of Jesus. And I just invite you, Holy Spirit, would you just settle Janet into your presence? Would you just slow her heart rate and would you allow her the joy of communicating the things that are on the heart of the Father? Would you honor the work that she's put in the preparation and the study. God, we are so thankful to hear from her this morning. We give ourselves, Jesus, to what you want to communicate through her. Amen. All right, good morning. <clears throat> what Andrew forgot to say is uh, this is not unusual that I just open my mouth and respond to something at a meeting and then think, wait a minute, maybe I should have thought about that first. But it's true when he brought up the word consecration. Um, Part of what happens to me in these spaces is um, I realize how much I love the Word of God, and it's always been a privilege um, when I've had a chance to share the Word. Um, I would say one of my life verses is the verse that Jesus quoted in his trial in the wilderness, and he was quoting Deuteronomy 8. And he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so when we gather together as the church, that's part of our purpose, but I, I need you to know that the Word of God, yes, I went to Bible school and seminary, but that's really not what it was about. It was about me being desperate to have my mind changed. I came to the Lord with a very broken mind, and it was through the Word of God and beautiful people like you that taught me the Word. 
and especially the Old Testament, I would say, as I had opportunities to study it, we're going to delve quite a bit into the Old Testament today because that's really the origin of this word. I would say um, the word consecration is like a golden thread, and it's one of those themes that, as Andrew said, from Genesis to Revelation, you can get a sense that God is trying to tell his people something because you see these themes and the way that he reveals himself. And consecration is one of those themes. What's happened in my life, life is I've gotten into the habit of when I really want to be curious about one of these grand themes is I look at the names of God in Hebrew. And we have to remember that God did not have a, the church at the time to transmit his word, to transmit who he is. We have the privilege of doing that now. He had to start from scratch and he chose this little family, this little nation in ancient Mesopotamia, and he started working with them. And the way he would do that is he would encounter people and he would name himself. Or like Moses would say, who should I say is sending me? And he named himself and said, well, tell the Egyptians I am that I am. And I don't know if Moses really understood that answer, but when we go to the names of God, we can usually find the origin of other words. So when we think about, and interesting that Andrew read, holy, holy, holy today, that first appeared in the book of Isaiah, when we look for a name of God from which we get the word consecration, it's very clear in the Hebrew, there's a, a root word that um, could be translated holy. And from that, we get the name of God, Hakadesh, which means the Holy One. And that's very important because that is the root in Hebrew from which the following words come. Consecrate, sanctify, prepare, dedicate, to hallow something, to be holy, to be sanctified, to be separate. And even when you hear the word sanctified in the original Greek in the New Testament, it's the same sentiment that we see there. So if we think of the name of God, it's, it appears over 40 times in the Old Testament, and it says something about who he really is. If you think of the culture at that time where he was working uh, with, Adam's, with, Adam, with Abraham's family, right, and choosing this little group of people, their culture had gods for everything, the cultures around them, everything, fertility, war, household gods that you would dedicate children to, um, but in that, they didn't realize they were bowing down and cooperating with demonic spirits. Spirits. They were seeking a spiritual experience. So in the midst of all that, there was sexual perversion, temple prostitutes, sacrificing children to gods, all kinds of things that completely distorted what humanity was supposed to do in worship. And into that, God comes and he starts saying, I'm the Holy One. There is no one like me. There is no one worthy. There is no one that can actually purify humanity and bring them into a right relationship with God. 29 times in the book of Isaiah, if you're curious about this name, God is identified as things like the Holy One of Israel. It says in the first chapter, they have despised the Holy One of Israel. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel over and over and over again. And even when Isaiah encounters this Holy One, he says, my lips are unclean. My whole culture's lips are defiled. And I'm seeing you that is holy. And we know the Lord cleansed him. And again, and consecrated Isaiah with his willing yes to God to, to address his people that had, that had gone so far from the worship he had set up for them. So out of this word again comes this sense of consecration that God is holy. The second name of God that we want to look at, look at really shows us something that's even very uh, common in the New Testament, and it is that he names himself as not only the Holy One, but the one that can make you holy, the one that can actually transform you into what human beings were supposed to be as his image bearers, and also that they could be in communion with him. As Andrew said, you cannot have communion without cleansing. And we all need it. And he's made a beautiful provision for us in Christ. But this name, Makadesh, is derived from the same Hebrew word. And it implies that God himself can make us holy. He cannot be defiled. He cannot be deterred by our, our own sense of defilement or desecration when we've walked in places that we shouldn't. In the scriptures, it says, for example, Exodus 31, 13, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations so that you may know that I am holy and the one who makes you holy. And that's what we do when we consecrate ourselves to God. We say, Lord, I know that I'm not holy, but I know that you created me to be touched by your holiness. I know that you created me to reflect your glory to a very broken world. 
So those are very important things as we look. And I'll share some verses from the New Testament later that where you will see the word sanctify, which is very, again, from the same root, where the Lord says, I will sanctify you. This also involves a setting apart. And I want to say um, one other thing, too, before I move on, and we actually look at Israel and how God was setting up worship and establishing this sense and the importance of consecration. But if we think of the holiness of Jesus, that he was fully God and fully human, if we think of him as this holy God, perfect, above all gods, there is no darkness in him, there is nothing that can ever be defiled or compromised in his character, and he goes out on the streets where he ministered and he touches lepers. He was the word of God and he knew that in Leviticus, any holy person, especially a rabbi, would not get near a leper, let alone touch them. They'd be ceremonially unclean and they had to make all kinds of sacrifices to reverse that, but he was holy. There was no way he could be defiled by disease or compromised. Holy love and healing issued out of him, but you can see why the religious leaders were so confused and so upset. How dare he touch a leper and he says that he knows God. But he could do that because he was confident that he and the Father were one and that he was abiding in the Father's holiness and that he was indeed God. He shares food with notorious sinners, food and wine with them. And people are saying a rabbi would never eat with people like that and even associate with them. They, they probably don't even worship at the temple. What is he doing? His holy presence is so comforting and convicting, people start repenting. And those types of people say, I'll give it away to the poor. I see what I've done now. Because they've encountered a holy God and they consecrate. They start consecrating and devoting all that they are to him. He also goes near dead bodies. This was ritually um, completely anathema to the Jews. That unless it was a very close family member, you did not go near a dead body to participate in burial. Especially if you were a consecrated Levite. He knew that. He was the law. He came to fulfill the law. He would approach dead bodies, speak over them, and bring them to life. You can imagine how confounded people were. But it was his holiness that could not be defiled by death. So as we look at the life of Israel now and how the Lord used consecration to prepare the place for them to encounter his holiness, we see the verse that Andrew mentioned. Now the occasion of him telling, of Joshua telling the people to consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you is a pattern in scripture that whenever the Lord is going to reveal something about himself, when he's going to deliver them from either a disaster that they created as the people of Israel or something that has come upon them, he always calls for a consecration. It could be a holy fast. It could be to wash your clothing. It's some sign to say, I am preparing my heart for you, O God. I'm preparing a space in my human condition for you to encounter the Holy One. Before any act of faith, and this was going to be an act of faith for them to go into, into the land, he's asking them, he's telling Joshua, get the people ready. <clears throat> and when he gave Moses the instructions to build the tabernacle, and if you haven't had a chance to study Exodus and Leviticus, I know a lot of people say, I get so stuck in my yearly Bible reading. I don't know what to do with all those laws, and there's blood everywhere. And there's all kinds of things and things are being slaughtered. What in the world? I can't even deal with it. I have to tell you that when I got to study those books of scripture um, <clears throat> in an Old Testament archaeology class, my mind was blown open. I was a very new Christian and it was an elective class. Well, they said you have to have an Old Testament credit. I landed at a Christian university because I heard there was such a thing. And I had an incredible professor that wrote his own textbook in Old Testament archaeology, but it was a divine appointment for me. I've been listening to the Old Testament in a Catholic mass every year of my life by, for 20 years by that point and could not decipher what was going on in those books. But when I did, it gave me such an appreciation for how God broke into that culture and was determined to communicate who he was to these people. And one of the things he did is while they were on the move in the wilderness and he took them out of Egypt and delivered them from the gods of Egypt is he created a mobile worship space that could travel with them. And he was, he was going to embed his holy presence among them, but he needed to do it in a way that they could follow him and be on the move and be in touch with his presence. And we'll notice as he sets up that tabernacle, which is interesting because we are now the mobile presence of God right? Wherever we go, he's invested his Holy Spirit in us as we've consecrated our lives to him. But if you listen to, again, Exodus and Leviticus, this whole tabernacle, all of the, the ground around it, the, article, the holy articles used in worship, the priests that were ministering there, 
Everything gets anointed. Everything gets consecrated by blood and oil. Exodus 40, take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it, there's the word, and all of its furnishings, and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offering, all of its utensils. Consecrate the altar. It will be most holy. Again, that word set apart or consecrated or holy or sanctified. Those are all synonyms. Anoint the basin. That's where the the priests had to do ritual washings before they went about their priestly duties. Consecrate the basin and its stand. And you think of us as the holy temple of God. We can ask God to consecrate, to wash, to cleanse, to heal every part of us, our mind, our will, our emotions. And he was planning that temple to take place within us and giving us this perfect template of what was to come. Moses was being told to take very common materials and we are just, we are earthen vessels as the New Testament says. And he still deems to set us apart for his holy service. I think of the word consecration and I think of the definition in terms of to be made holy for a holy purpose. God has a holy purpose for us. He's sending his church on mission continually throughout the ages to translate to people all of these revelations of himself and to expose them to his holy presence. Another verse uh, from Exodus 29, purify the altar by making atonement for it. This is the other thing that had to happen to consecrate things. There had to be atonement. We live in and amongst the stain of sin. We are affected by sin but we have a beautiful solution. And God was pointing, it says in the Old Testament, to the greater covenant to come. And in his very careful instructions to Moses, there was atonement. There was a place to deal with sin. God was desperate and longing for his people. And with this little nation that he was building and forming, he kept making a way for them to come back to him, to have access to his truth, to his holy presence. And it was bloody. And it was very specific in how the temple was laid out so that people would not be actually killed by his holy presence because he is holy. He cannot come into contact with sin and not do something about it. And as Andrew said, we are these living cathedrals now and there are things that God can do inside of us that no one else can do as he sets us apart for his holy purpose, as he consecrates us. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and here you see the incredible continuity with the Old Testament. Paul is writing, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Again, we're the mobile tabernacles. The Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received, you are not your own. You are God's own possession. We don't like to think of ourselves as free democratic people as being owned by anybody. But that is the only way that we are secure as humans, to know that we belong to God, that there's actually a reason that we're here. Consecration has everything to do with belonging to God. It's hard sometimes, for sure. The other aspect of consecration that I noticed is a correlation between people hearing the word of God and God setting them apart for a mission or a task, and that there was actual kind of a cleansing and a proclamation over the people when God's commands and words were issued. In Leviticus, another favorite book of mine, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees, we could say commands, and follow them. I am the Lord who makes you holy. So he's giving the the commandments of the Lord. He's telling them, and if we look at the law, there were three things happening in the law. There was guidance on how to relate to God, how to have a relationship with him. And there was guidance in how to relate to each other, including the other nations around the Jewish people. And there were commands as to how to relate to ourselves, how to use and conduct our bodies and all the tasks of living in relation to a holy God that wanted nothing but the best for us. And remember, these laws were coming at a time where... There were religious laws in the culture. There were many of them. How to sacrifice humans, for example. Many people were visiting mediums and spiritists. Does this sound familiar to anyone? They were seeking guidance for the future. They were desperate to know what was going to happen the next year. Um, And some of the guidelines God was giving was protecting people from these practices that were degrading, that were ruining the next generation. Adultery, incest, all all other kinds of sexual perversion acts outside of marriage. These things were all included in this holy law that was coming 
to cleanse the people and before the Lord gave the Ten Commandments, which are the hallmark of so much of Judeo-Christian ethics um, that we still use as a guide today. Listen to what he says. And he, he always has to tell Moses, tell the people, because the people were so afraid of his holy presence. At one point, they said, we don't want to hear his voice. It's, it's horrifyingly frightening. You talk to him and tell us what he said. And so the Lord took them up on it, and he told Moses what to do. But before the giving of the Ten Commandments, Moses went up to God, and he said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You've seen what I did in Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He consecrated this little nation, this little family group to himself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. That should sound familiar. They will belong to him as his possession. Although the whole earth is mine. And he told Israel, I could have chosen any nation to build a holy nation out of, but I found you. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words you are to tell them. He declares to them, when you think of what the priests did, they were stewards of the word of God. They, um, before there was uh, a transmission of the actual scrolls of putting these commands on parchment and passing them down, or as that tradition developed, these Levites, these priests, were, some of them were committed to doing nothing but copying and preserving the word of God. And, and if you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, for example, this was a very important tradition to preserve this gift of God, which was his law. But whenever his law was coming to the people, there was a consecration. So in the next verses... He says, uh, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then he says, now go to the people and here's the word, consecrate them today and tomorrow have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the people. Set limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not touch it. So again, he's consecrating them to receive the 10 commandments. Imagine how many millions of times the Ten Commandments have been taught and published and how they've served as a guide. And, but before he was going to release those to them, he says, consecrate, get ready, come before me, be ready to hear from me. Now, as we look further, we kind of have, um, actually, before I move on to that, I want to say this verse from Exodus is almost quoted verbatim in First Peter and is it is restated to the people of God again, who are now, as the church, from every nation. And indeed, we're still growing. First Peter 2.9 states, For you, and he's talking to you, my church family, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's calling us again. It says in Hebrews, Christ came as the exact radiance of the Father in Hebrews 1. Somehow, as he ascended and sent us the Holy Spirit, he's asking us, these jars of clay, to take up that mission with him. And he consecrates us for that. He says, you are my possession. I have called you out. To be separated out is another synonym for being made holy. And now we serve as a light to the Gentiles. The extension of what he was doing in forming this little holy nation extends to the world. Paul even said something about his calling that is very interesting. In Romans 15, he says, I'm called to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles may become an offering made holy by the Holy Spirit. Well, you can imagine this falling on Jewish ears. What? Gentiles have no, in their mind, no way of being holy. We are the chosen nation. We have the receptacle of God's holy presence. What do you mean you're going to touch all people and they're going to be your holy possession? So I want to focus a minute on the word priest as we think about what was happening again in the tabernacle um, that God and later in the temple. The Levites were kind of a second consecrated group. First, God consecrated Israel and said, I'm setting you apart. I'm pulling you out of the nations. I need to work with you and form you into a holy nation so the whole world can come to me. But within that, there was a tribe that he consecrated or set apart, the Levitical tribe. People were born into temple service. They were born into ministry, so to speak. But if you have a chance to, to just study how the Lord set them apart, there were seven days of anointing, for example, to ordain them to priestly ministry and the sons of Aaron. 
And as we look at that again, um, the Lord says in Exodus 29, you are to present Aaron and his sons at the tent, entrance of the tent of meeting. This is when he's setting up this mobile tabernacle. Some of the things he says about anointing them, and anointing often goes with consecration and sanctification as well. And there was a certain kind of oil. Even the oil was consecrated. The constituent ingredients of the oil were very specific. And there was something in the law that said, if you ever smell this oil outside of the temple or anyone uses it as a perfume, there was a very harsh penalty. This oil is only to be given as a sacred symbol of the work of God among his people to ordain them, to cause them to be holy, to cause even objects in the temple to be holy. And in terms of priestly ordination, you are to put, they had to wear certain clothing, put a turban on their head. Um, you are to take anointing oil to actually pour it over them. And if some of you have been in Pentecostal circles like myself, I had some lovely Jamaican sisters in seminary and um, they were running, I'll give you an example, they were running... Uh, a program, a recovery program for women that have been addicted. And they said, you know, the curriculum doesn't say anything about anointing, but we oil them up and God comes and he delivers them. And I thought, that's right. And I've seen that in my own life. And I've been in seasons of my life where I thought what I need right now is anointing and prayer. I need a renewal of the Holy Spirit and to know that I'm his and he is mine. You are to, pre to present these priests and clothe them and wrap sashes around them and put headbands on them. Every, every piece of clothing, everything in the tabernacle was a holy symbol. Thus, here's the word, you are to consecrate Aaron and his sons for seven days. So we see again that God is determined to call people out for his service to be priests. And we are the new kingdom of priests that God has called. His burning passion is to communicate himself to humanity. And somehow he chooses us. <clears throat> A consecrated life is a laser-focused life on what is important to God. And that's what I think our, he's called all of us to, the church around the world. We probably have more distractions than any other, on any other generation, but in that, nothing can deter him. And I think that's part of why he's calling us into consecration, that people notice that we have an unusual focus. The rest of the story, though, is in the history of Israel, there was a continual pattern, this is also another theme, of them becoming defiled and desecrated. They did not keep that focus, whether out of fear or temptation because of the pressure of the culture around them. The constant pattern, even having to do with the tabernacle and the way the temple was treated, was that they moved into defilement, into idolatry, worshiping things that were not worthy of worship. And over and over again, the Lord would say through the prophets, call my people back. There were times in Chronicles where they had to literally do this all over again. He said, the only way back is you have to consecrate, anoint, and sanctify everything in the temple again. There were awful times like this mobile tabernacle even was kidnapped by the Philistines. They were not supposed to take the holy ark of God into battle. It did not belong there. But, but this was a practice of other nations. They had gods of war that they would take with them. So over and over again, the Lord calls them back. You have to re-consecrate. Now, I'm not talking, I know some of you grew up in a tradition where maybe every year at camp, you dedicated your life. I'm talking about something that, and that is okay. That is all done in good faith. And the Holy Spirit uses those kinds of things. But there's a deep kind of consecration where, and God is specific, Right how we can turn our lives back over when we realize I'm worshiping things that are not worthy of worship. I want to be your vessel. I need your cleansing. And of course, we look to Jesus, our Savior, as our example. And he says in John 17, sanctify them. Remember, these are his last words as if he's on his deathbed to his disciples. And he prays for them. He says, sanctify them, Lord, by your truth. Your word is truth. So there's something about the word bringing cleansing. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them. I, if you listen to the word sanctify, I, says Jesus, sanctify myself. He's put himself aside for a holy purpose that they too may be sanctified. So he's already planning. I have a way to consecrate them, to set them aside for a holy purpose. And I'm praying that. And they don't realize the doorway of that through that to that is the cross. And I just want to encourage you um, as well that I believe every person is consecrated by 
nature of being made in the image of God. The womb is a very sacred place. And um, in Psalm 139, which I'm sure, I hope that you've heard before, it's beautiful and I never get tired of hearing it, but we are seen by God and made for a purpose. And some of you have regret or shame or difficulty thinking of how you were conceived. And God says, it doesn't matter how you came into being. What matters is that I chose you and I've consecrated every person for a holy purpose. People can say no to that. That's the other thing about us being made in his image. We have a will and we can say no, but that's not what he has for us. Psalm 139 says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained, that word is very close to consecration, for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I love this definition that incorporates ordination. It says, if some authority or power ordains something, they decide that it should happen and it should be in existence. And God decides and says yes to every human soul. And just by nature of being human, we are consecrated with a purpose. We were always intended to reflect God to one another and to be bearers of his image. He gives us his undivided gaze when we are in our mother's wombs and knows how, what he has consecrated to, what holy tasks he has set before us. So I want to encourage you. Um, in our postmodern world, in general, people are disoriented. They don't know where to point their life. As Andrew said, they end up consecrating themselves to all kinds of things. And in some ways, even consecrating themselves to people that they will believe, that they believe will make them whole. If I can just find the right person and pledge myself and all my allegiance to that person, I'll find what I need. But it's caused a disorientation. The other thing that's happening is we're worshiping humanity and humanity's potential. We were never made to be worshipped. We were made for worship. And again, this has caused, um, I was a teacher for many years. I'm somehow working as a family therapist right now. And the level of disorientation is astounding and it's heartbreaking because people do not know where to point their life. They don't know that there's a holy God with a holy purpose for them. So I just want to challenge you. The way back to reorient ourselves is always consecration. It's not a necessarily about moral effort. It's about surrender and saying, you get, it, you get it all. You get all of me, God. I don't know what the holy purpose is in this situation. And there was this, I'm almost done, but there was a situation a couple years ago where the holy purpose that I thought I was being prepared for, uh, a door slammed shut in my face. And I really thought that would never happen in this particular context. And I actually called Jess and Alex and I said, I need to be in your house tonight with your hands on me praying or I'm not going to make it. And I remember when they prayed for me and I'm so grateful for them. They've always been there for me. I remember that I was completely disoriented. I felt like the world was caving in and I couldn't understand what was happening. Did I do something wrong? But what oriented me again was the knowledge that it did not matter. I could still consecrate my life. I could still say, you have it all, all the time, and I will be okay. If it's not this door to serve you, there'll be something else. But consecration really saved, has saved my sanity more than once. It's a reorientation to say, you have all of me. And I trust you to do the rest, Lord. I really do. Amen. Thank you, Janet. I'm going to just invite the worship team to come. We're just going to enter into a bit of space to linger here with this. But um, if you have not read Leviticus lately, it's one of the best. I'm not being facetious. Here's something I want to leave with you. One of the intriguing elements of the consecration of the priests in Leviticus reads like this. Moses presented the other ram, the animal, which was the ram of ordination. Aaron and his sons had their hands on the ram's head. There's a, oh man, a, such a teaching on the laying on of hands. We have just absolutely butchered that theology in the modern church. Moses slaughtered the ram. Then Moses took some of its blood and applied it to the lobe of Aaron's right ear. 
the thumb of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot. So intriguing. Next, Moses presented Aaron's sons and applied some of the blood to the lobes of their right ears, the thumbs of their right hands and the big toes of their right feet. Here's what I want to leave with you. And I'm not proposing to be um, an ancient Hebrew Semitic scholar, but there is consecration to Jesus is not intellectual. We are, we are immersed in a Christian culture that intellectually thinks it can consecrate itself without actually entering into the act of consecration. You do not consecrate yourself by thinking something internally in you, even believing what Jesus said and not actually carrying it into your life. I think maybe part of what this picture of the ordination of priests in the Old Testament. Remember, Janet said, we are now the royal priesthood. That's you. That's me. And some things that need to be consecrated in your life, what you listen to, where you receive the stuff of life into your ears, what are you listening to? in your life right now? Who are you listening to? What are you filling your mind with? What is coming in? There's a consecration that we need to enter into in our modern church life where we don't think that we can wholeheartedly follow Jesus and then absolutely invest our life in in receiving content from Netflix, Prime, TikTok, and everything else, a deluge of stuff into our ears that is actually the antithesis of what we say we believe. What are you listening to? The thumb, the hand was the symbol of human strength and power. It was the symbol of man's capacity. It's why God's right hand is so often mentioned in Scripture. It was the demonstration, the symbol of God's authority and power. What are you building your life on? What are you giving your strength and energy to? What are you giving your capacity to? Your your intellect to? Your ingenuity to? What are you giving the best of your strength to? And the big toe, who sets and what sets the direction of your life? There needs to be a consecration in our life of these things. What we're not talking about, and we'll unpack this in the weeks to come, we're not talking about legalism here. This has nothing to do with whether God loves you or not. He does. The invitation to consecration is not about whether God loves you. It's about whether you actually believe that he has a vision for your life that is uncommon. A vision for your life that is actually counterintuitive, counterformational. God does have a call on your life. He has made you with a divine purpose. And the issue of consecration is not about whether he loves you. He does. It's about whether you see for yourself the divine thing that God has called you to, to be a man or woman who is uncommon as it relates to the whole world around you. The problem with our modern Christian world is that it is common. Almost everything going on in the life of the church, almost everything, is oriented and rooted in human agency and strength and power. Almost all of it. Our church, our body of Christ is almost indistinguishable from the world around. And we celebrate that for some reason. The call of God on your life to be consecrated is a call to be uncommon. I want to read this as we close here. It's not about legalism. This Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. Or another translation, 
everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Some can, but you can't. It doesn't, this is not about the legalism of what's, you know, what, what morally, as Janet said, can I do or not do? Everything is permissible, Paul says, but it's not all beneficial. Is your life built on what's permissible but harmful? Is your life built on what's permissible but actually the thing that is stealing and robbing you from being a conduit for the, of the kingdom of God on the earth, the presence and power of God on the earth. This is what Paul says to Timothy, God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone. The Lord knows who are his and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made for gold, made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions. They're consecrated. And the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust instead. Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. This is not about whether God loves you. This is about the calling of God on your life to be a living cathedral of his presence and power. This is about you being willing to walk into an uncommon life. He's calling you to be a cathedral in your workplace, in your home, in this region. Your life, I want you to hear this, your everyday real life, whether you're at Brock High School, grade school, wherever you're working, your everyday real life, your body is meant to be the place where heaven touches earth. The stuff you do with your hands, the places your feet walk, the things that you are processing and, and giving your mind to, you are meant to be the place where heaven invades the earth. And the vision we have for you is that, that your life becomes supernaturally charged with the things of the kingdom, bringing the beauty and the goodness and the peace of God, the healing and restoration and renewal and deliverance of God to the world around you. It's not about living some different kind of, you know, like someone else's spiritual life. This is simply about being the kind of person who's willing to live an uncommon, set-apart life. So as we move into a time of lingering in God's presence, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. He wants to connect with you. It doesn't matter what you're doing right now. It doesn't matter how distracting the environment is around you. He wants to meet with you and he wants to speak to you. And I just, I want to invite you to take a few minutes to just listen for his voice and ask him this question. What do you want me to know right now? I want you to just spend a few minutes and ask him, what he wants you to know about living an uncommon life for him in his kingdom. Thank you. 